Hey, so one of the things we're committed to over here at Girl Boss is making sure you all feel empowered to make better financial decisions for yourself. And that's why I'm so happy to say we're adding a second part to our super popular financial e-course, Money Moves, with global investment manager BlackRock. We launched it last year as an email series, and this year we're back with part two. Over 12 weeks, we'll be diving into everything from student loan debt to the pros and cons of renting versus buying, and so much more. To sign up for Money Moves, go to girlboss.com slash BlackRock. That's girlboss.com slash BlackRock. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and welcome back to Girlboss Radio. I hope you enjoyed your 4th of July holiday if you're in the U.S. If not, I hope you enjoyed the past week taking a break from Girlboss Radio and had a moment to listen to our archive of episodes. But before we get started, I want to say a quick thank you to everyone who came out to the Girlboss rally and especially to the team at Girlboss who made this possible. I'm already excited for the next one. And what I'm really excited about is this thing you probably heard about. It's a social network. You should join at girlboss.com. Every week we try really hard to bring you amazing women who are inspiring, hardworking go-getters who aren't afraid to talk about their ups and downs and lessons learned along the way as they carve out their own version of success for themselves. And having those conversations is always so much easier to do when we're talking to friends, which is why I'm so excited to introduce you to an old colleague and friend of mine, Lisa Bueller. Lisa and I met years ago while working at Nasty Gal. In fact, Lisa was a buyer at Nasty Gal. I interviewed her personally. I think she might have been our second or third buyer. She was at the company for four years. She's got an eye for cute stuff. And now she's an entrepreneur with her own business, Lisa Says Ga. Dot com. That's G-A-H, guy like guy. It's a carefully curated online shop and blog based in San Francisco. She created the business to showcase her favorite pieces from independent designers and has been hard at work building out her small team and learning what it takes to keep a team happy, even if it sometimes means you need to say goodbye to certain people. Here's a little bit of what Lisa had to say during our chat. I think understanding what's best for the business has to come number one and what's best for the team, because that's what's gonna be best for the business. And realizing if there's a bad fit, even if they're great on paper, they produce really great work, but the chemistry isn't there, it's just gonna be this constant battle and trying to overcome it. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women, exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. Here's our conversation. So I want to start, I mean, let's say full transparency. I worked with Lisa at Nasty Gal for, I don't know how many years, many, many, many years? Three, About four years. Four years. Eight years ago. You're a trooper. Wow. Eight years ago. Yeah. I feel old. So let's start at the beginning. Something I ask everybody that comes on Girl Bus Radio is, what was your first job? My first job was right after high school summer job at Hollister. Oh my God. In a mall. This is a theme. Actually, Aisha Curry, she came on yesterday and her first job was at Hollister as well. Nice. Like our whole team has worked yeah. at one or the other. The early aughts. How's that? I was so stoked. I like had a job and a paycheck and I love to clock in and spritz the store and <laughs> fold clothing. And um, it was a job, but it was a summer job. So Was that in LA? It was in the Inland Empire. Okay. Riverside. 
Is there anything you learn from that job that you've taken into what you're doing? Obviously, it was in the apparel world, but that's a really different. I mean, it's retail, but it's working in a retail store is different from obviously, you know, you worked in a showroom, you did buying for Nasty Gal, and now mm-hmm. you run your own startup. What did you take from from working at? I think I took the dynamics of working with others and a little bit of like the politics that can come along with that. But what I didn't like about the job was the lack of of a challenge for selling clothing. A lot of people just came in and it was a trend and people bought it and left. So I think it just felt flat as far as being connected to the brand. And that's something that's really unique when you start a business. I mean, we were building something and you got to do something that, you know, in terms of buying your taste level was connected to how well things performed, but it's really Mm. different when you start your own business, isn't it? So different. It's so different, but it's such a great feeling because every single thing you do improves, hopefully, the next thing that happened, just Mm. step by step, small increments. So you studied advertising in college. I studied advertising in Italian. Okay. Can you still speak Italian? Uh, It's uh, così così. Uh, okay. So, so. Uh, we? Oh, uh, <laughs> nope. So you studied advertising in college. Why was that interesting to you? And how did you make the transition into fashion? I was always interested in fashion and going to liberal arts school. I went to Pepperdine and, and the closest I could get to something creative was in communications and advertising, which at the time was great because I learned graphic design, how to build a pitch and how to sell um, an idea and kind of a brand. So I think I still use a bit of that today. And then you worked in a showroom. I remember that specifically before you joined us Mm -hmm. at Nasty Gal. Yeah, that's where I met you. Yeah. So who were you representing? What were the brands? One Teaspoon, an Australian designer. That's really cool. They're still around? I don't know. They had great, but they like started the short, short. The, well, the diaper, trend. the diaper yes. cutoff shorts uh-huh. that like only looked good on Bambi mm-hmm. official, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then you became a buyer at Nasty Gal. How was that transition to go from working in a showroom, working as a salesperson in some ways, going to trade shows, mm-hmm. and then becoming in some ways the consumer on the other side of that? I first discovered the showroom. In college, I got a fit modeling gig during market week, which is when all the buyers come and shop the different designers and try on clothing, and the buyers would kind of decide if they liked it on the body or not. So I got kind of a like eavesdrop into what buyers were doing and how they were communicating with designers and the sales reps. So post-college, I thought this would be a really great place to start to learn a little bit more about the buying part and the selling part and also working with designers. So showroom was a really great place to begin because I got to work with the designers and help sell their clothing to buyers. Buying sounds like such a dream job for so many of us because we just we get to pick out things that we like. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the things that we like aren't necessarily the same thing that the customer wants. But also it can sometimes be an unglamorous job. There's a lot of math and other things that go into buying. Can you describe what the day-to-day of a buyer is like? The day-to-day of a buyer is probably, uh, if you're lucky enough to work for a brand, which I did, and you like feel like you represent that style, um, but there's always going to be categories that you have to fill um, and dollars you have to meet 
So a lot of that is maybe it's not that, that exciting, but it's a core item that you need to have in the shop to keep that sustainable for the business. What are those items that Lisa says ga now? Well, we have a really popular Tony top, a smock top, Tony. Uh, midi dresses, slip dresses. Uh, we sell uh, these cute fruit beaded earrings, which are on flow, which we order them every six months, and they're just like unstoppable. Um, so it's really great when you do have those core items that customers really love, and you can kind of run with them for a while. Do you find that the 80-20 principle applies where 20% of your styles make up 80% of your sales, or is it different? I think it's changing, and we're still so small, and we change the assortment every season um, where we're able to take risk and buy into new brands. Um, but we're starting to see, um, like, year over year what is working and what we need to have in the shop, like, as far as categories are concerned. So I think it's it's a little bit of both right now. What was it like hiring your first employee? I started with freelance. So a lot of the employees I have now, I, I got to know them through freelance work. But then I've hired people just in a full-time position more recently. And... Is that terrifying? Ah! It's... No, I think I realized, like, that I can't fulfill everything the business needs. So hiring people has been a big part of the success of the brand. Has that allowed the business to scale in ways that it couldn't otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. I think what I realized I needed was a copywriter and an inventory planner and a designer. So on top of curating from the market, you're designing and producing clothes made in San Francisco, which is really unique. There's not, I mean, I don't know, There's the Gap does not make their clothes in San Francisco. There's a fair amount of Bay Area retail, but making things in the city is pretty unique. How did you go about starting that and sourcing people who were able to make your line at Lisa Seska? We started with a top and a skirt, and we found a factory locally in San Francisco. And really starting out, I think, Finding sourcing locally is is really actually just easier. You can go to the factory, you can have a lot of meetings. So it was really a great place to start on a small scale. And we've been able to grow with the factory. Um, so they've been able to grow with us. And now we're, I think, one of their main clients. Making stuff in the U.S. in general, let alone San Francisco, can be really expensive. But your line isn't super expensive. How do you think about keeping costs down and why is, is that important to you? Yeah, we want to reach, we want to have an accessible price point, but we want to make clothing that's sustainable um, and made locally. So a part of that is we're not spending money on duties and shipping fees from internationally, so that cuts back. Um, we're selling direct to consumer most of the time, so that cuts back on costs as well. I take all the photos for Lisa Says Ga, so it cuts back on like there's other areas we um, cut back on the cost to offer the best price for the customer. We'll get back to our conversation with Lisa, but first I want to give you an update on what's new at Girlboss. If you've been following along with our updates on social or email or my social, you may have heard about it, but if you haven't, here it is. Ta-da! We've grown Girlboss into the community that it always wanted to be. We've built an online professional network that's built just for ambitious women like yourself. 
and it's free. I've heard from so many of you over the years and you've told me how inspiring it is to hear and learn from the women on Girlboss Radio. And you've shown us how motivating and important it is for you to connect with other go-getters like yourself. But the reality is that it's hard to meet these women in real life on the regular. We've made that happen at the Girl Boss Rally two days out of the year, but now you can do it every day of the year. And that's why we've built the Girl Boss platform, so you can connect with other women who are just as ambitious and interesting as you are. It's a digital space where you can ask members for advice, learn from thought leaders, and build a beautiful profile to showcase who you really are, not just your resume. You're so much more than that. And it's where you can truly connect with women who are changing the game. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Become a member by simply going to girlboss.com to sign up. I will see you there. Hey listeners, I want to loop you guys into something I've been listening to lately. And if you have an Amazon Alexa or Google Assistant smart speaker at home, you should get on this too. Our friends over at BlackRock, the global investment manager, have created short weekly briefings available through these speakers and are updated every Tuesday. I've found it's the easiest way to stay up to date on global market activity. Just search for BlackRock Briefings as a flash briefing skill for Alexa and in Google News for Google and opt in. Then you'll be all set to listen each week. That's it. With BlackRock Briefings on Alexa and Google, you'll get the quick and easy updates that will help you feel smart and informed about the financial landscape. Head over to blackrock.com slash flash briefing if you need more information on how to listen. See you there. Now let's get back to my conversation with Lisa. So Lisa says, Goss, it's super interesting because I remember when you joined Nasty Gal, that was, that was like a, a blog, was it a blog? Like that was a kind of title that you'd been using for a long time before you started your business. It was my personal Instagram. Uh-huh. Lisa says, Ga. Ga, what's Ga? Ga. Ga. That means like, I love it. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, it's that like delight and unexpected um, reaction to something that you really love, um, in my case. So I, when I think of our assortment and what we present, I want everyone to feel that sense of ga, like having that ga <laughs> moment. So you had a blog. and You started it in 2009. Is that true? Started it in, t- yeah, I think in 2009, like pre-Instagram and having um, just like inspirational images and it didn't last long Instagram is kind of like the next best thing and um, I learned about Instagram from you actually in a meeting oh wow (laughs) what did you learn you just had had a meeting with the founder and you were trying to explain or you were explaining like the scroll and the like the photos and the like filters oh my god wow and I thought whoa this is so interesting I went home and I downloaded it that night and it was I think I was having a barbecue so I took like 10 consecutive photos of like a hot dog and <laughs> yeah, like with a filter. flowers and like different frames and filters. And so you had your social media following, you had a blog for a little while, but getting customers is really, really different. How did you go about getting your first customers? And how did you market Lisa says go in the beginning? Well, I'll start with how we, how we kind of got the brands going and how I pitched that. So when I started the shop, or the website, I started on Squarespace and then I started a blog first because it takes about six months to have product delivered. So I started with a blog and it was just really to represent 
the aesthetic of what I was going for and reaching out to designers, showing them the blog, like this is this is the vibe of the shop, this is the aesthetic, we're gonna have a blog, we're gonna have an interview series for designers to showcase you. And that was really the, the visual pitch when I first started. And you've, you have, I don't, do you call them muses? Muse Monday. Muse Monday. Mm-hmm. So what is a muse for Lisa Says Ga? You've built what kind of feels like a community of real girls who are an example of you know the the values that you have at Lisa Says Ga, but what is a muse and what is Muse Mondays? Our Muse Monday series are women. They're not necessarily well-known, but we really admire their style or what they're doing in their career. So we do a spotlight featuring um, a lot of polls just from their Instagram feed, and we do a um, quick bio to introduce them to uh, the customer. And a lot of these muses are undiscovered or are just like getting their career started. So it's really great to highlight them and share that with our followers. Um, and more recently, we've been able to gift them Lisa Says Ga products. So we have them style it and kind of show how they would wear it. I want to go back to your team because hiring your first employees is something our audience asks a lot about. When am I ready to? This is really scary. And how do I know who's best, who's a fit for my company? So I'm curious, what was it like hiring your first employee? Is there something that you look for more specifically when you interview people? When I first started, I started with freelance because that's all I could afford at that time. And it was really just the voids I needed to fill or I felt that. And I really hired people from the beginning with what I could do. Like I can I can do five hours a week or 10 hours a week and people were really attracted to the brand. So it, it was um, fairly easy to get people on board with wanting to help out and work. Um, but I think connecting with, like getting help from people you know from your past experiences have been really helpful. Um, but as far as hiring a team, um, finding people that are really enthusiastic about the brand is like number one and then having a skill set that I don't have that they can bring to the table was was a big part of making that decision and you guys are working really hard you know what's the culture like at Lisa says God because when you have a small company or really any company there's a lot to do and that's something that we're experiencing at girl boss especially around the time of the girl boss rally how do you maintain a culture where people are happy when they are working really hard. Is the balance of work and life important to you for your team as a leader? What is that What is that dynamic like? It is a small team of five. <laughs> so we have uh, Gabriella's and Bine and Partnerships, and Danielle does design and production, and Sarah does all, all our order fulfillment and customer service. And then we have Stephanie as our inventory planner, and then Dina, our accountant, and I do the photos and kind of marketing and press. So it's a small team. We pretty much know what everyone's up to every day, um, but we all have our own like little focuses. So I think for for the work-life balance, yeah, we have a really good time, but everyone is so dedicated and working so hard to like get to that next level. And I think that's what continues to drive us is like, what's next? What are we working on? Um, but it is like a total team effort to make every day happen. And you mentioned press, and press is something that we would all love to, you know, to get, but often we don't know even 
Do we reach out to editors directly? Do we hire a publicist that's expensive? Has press been impactful to your business? And how did you go about getting your first press? First press. Before I launched the site, I reached out to every local editor in San Francisco. So I think that's something that I did was start locally, even though the shop was meant to be online and ship worldwide. Starting locally um, really helped start the business. So I reached out to the local Refinery29 editor, like, hey, I have this shop I'm about to launch. I'd love to meet you for coffee and tell you about it. And three months later, she did an article uh, about the shop. And I think the headline was, Nasty Girl Buyer Launches <laughs> Rad New Shop. Um, but that just really propelled the brand and started getting press. And then uh, like Vogue reached out and W Magazine. And it just kind of happened quickly. And people were really interested in the branding was kind of this raw, unedited, like taking photos out in the street using an iPhone or a film camera. Um, so I think we, our perspective was a little bit different as far as e-commerce, and that stood out. Hey guys, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about a podcast I've recently subscribed to. It's called The Bid, and it's from our partners over at BlackRock. They're a financial services company that works to help people like you and me make informed decisions about investing and how to better manage their money. And in their podcast, The Bid, they bring on money experts across a wide range of industries to talk about the latest happenings in the financial space. The Bid gives you an overview of how everything from politics to technology to psychology can impact the markets. It's quick and easy to listen to, but offers enough info to get you up to speed on what you really need to know to make smart money moves. Check it out by downloading The Bid wherever you get your podcasts. So there's a great article about you in the Covetour where you talked about the future of the fashion industry. What do you see as the future of the fashion industry? I feel that it's becoming more niche and you can find what you want easier. I think it's great for small brands and independent designers really have a platform to reach new people and you can find brands that aren't everywhere and I think it just helps personalize your style. So Lisa says God does feel pretty raw in terms of the photography, the brand feels very much like the girl who's in the photos is also the girl who's the consumer. Why is that important to you? Why do you think that works in a world where everything is so slick and so polished? And the advice you may get would be like, make everything perfect, get the, you know, the, the lighting set up, uh, you know, just make it, make it as slick as possible. Why has that been important for you? And why do you think it's worked? I think from the beginning, it was this movement of anti-fast fashion and having a platform that felt very real and transparent and like, yeah, we're still selling things, but we want it to be something we really believe in. And I think doing that just kind of like pushing down the walls of like perfection. And I think that's what we're trying to do is like, it's not perfect. And it might not be a brand you've heard of before, but like this is why you should buy it because this is how it looks and this is who makes it. So you mentioned fast fashion and that was something we ended up doing at Nasty Gal in some ways inadvertently because we started with vintage and then I happened to go to a trade show and we bought expensive stuff. It didn't sell. And then we bought cheaper stuff, which looked a little bit more like fast fashion. And that's what 
really propelled the business over time. And it worked. But fast fashion has, you know, a lot of problems, right? There's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be buying fast fashion. What is it about fast fashion? What are some of the things that you've learned about fast fashion that have uh, driven you to make a decision to stay away from it as you build your business? I think fast fashion can change. I think we're still in that see it, want to buy it, quick turnaround. Zara had a big sale <clears throat> yesterday. Our whole team was like posting screenshots of <laughs> what they were buying. Yeah, I think it's. I think people still want the demand of having it as soon as possible and having like this trend. Um, but I think that you can do that sustainably, and that's what we're trying to do: is offer a lower price point like sustainably locally made product. So I think people are expecting more of brands. And I know that a lot of brands are moving in that direction. Even fast fashion companies are starting eco mm-hmm. um, sections of the shop. I think we kind of have to meet like why people are so, why did fast fashion become so popular and changing the behavior? I don't know if it's going to change as fast as like, how can we make it more sustainable and better for our environment, but offer it in a way that's fast fashion? For those of us who don't know, what are what are the things that are so damaging about fast fashion? What is it doing to our world, to our style, but mostly yeah. our environment? Um, and I think that's the, probably the biggest conversation. And also our dopamine, it's just like we're buying stuff that we don't need. So Mm -hmm. there's the waste factor, but there's also in the manufacturing process a lot of things that could be improved upon. If you could share what the damage is uh, that that fast fashion creates, what do you think the biggest negative impacts fast fashion has are? I think overconsumption and poor quality and not knowing where it's coming from and how it's made are just like what's hidden behind fast fashion that we don't know. And I think everyone is demanding more of the clothing that they're wearing. Like, where is it from? How is it made? So I think buying less, buying vintage, shopping, sustainable brands, where you can actually figure out like the contents of the materials and where it's being manufactured. So we all make mistakes. And you've been around some mistakes in your career. But but what would you say your biggest career mistake has been? I think more recently, actually, I think I tend to, like if there's a problem or something that's not sitting well with me, I try to adapt and kind of live with it. Like if there's someone on the team that's just not a great fit, I kind of think it's my problem and trying to deal with it. Um, but more recently, I've just discovered that I don't have to live with something that's not working for me and probably also not working for the other person. What's a respectful way to have that conversation? How do you how do you let someone go for the first time? I think understanding what's best for the business has to come number one and what's best for the team, because that's what's going to be best for the business. And realizing if there's a bad fit, even if they're great on paper, they produce really great work, but the chemistry isn't there um it's just going to be this constant battle and trying to overcome it so i think i've been better about facing the issues that are happening and dealing with them 
even if they're tough, just like, this isn't working for me. This is, I've got to make a change. Mm -hmm. I think I've heard the term, I think it's something like brilliant assholes. And a lot of companies tolerate them because they do great work and, you know, maybe have a lot of knowledge, but they show up and they're poisonous. And Mm -hmm. because they do such great work, you know, they can they can stay in an organization for a really long time. And when people see that example that the company is willing to tolerate that, it's something that can bring the whole average down of how people feel. And they can lose a lot of respect for leadership because that's saying that, hey, like, you know, my, my work and, you know, the energy that I bring to this business isn't seen and why should this person stay here? They're making me miserable, right? One person mm-hmm. can be pure poison to a business. And sometimes it's easy not to see because, especially in a larger company, you may not be working as directly with that person. And people may not raise their hands and say, hey, my boss is making my life a living hell. And in a larger organization, what I've experienced is that on different teams, you can have totally different cultures. Like our photo studio at Nasty Gal, we're like the happiest people in the world. And then I don't know what's, well, I don't know what the example would be, but I know there were teams where their experience of working at the company was so different mm-hmm. and driving that across an organization as it, as it scales intentionally and not letting those things happen by accident, making sure that everybody knows what management or leadership or process should look like is really challenging but it's really important because it can become this uh, Hieronymus Bosch like mess of uh, haves and have nots and different experiences which can be really really damaging to a business what would you what is the thing that you'd say you're most proud of in your career most proud of more recently is is becoming that leader and making those tough calls and helping to grow the business and and also, at the same time, being a great manager and being a, setting a good example for the team. So I think that has become more important as our team has grown. and something I, I didn't really anticipate doing. And I think just experience and learning what works and what doesn't has really helped me become a better leader. So something we ask everybody that comes on Girl Boss Radio is about this concept of success, which feels really dated when we think about it as something that means making money and being successful in just work. Success is about so much more than just work. What does success mean to you right now? You know, it's strange. I like have this memory of my mom asking me that question. Like, what is? what do you think success is? Like, I was maybe like in middle school or 12, and I'm pretty sure I said, well, a mansion, duh, Liv- living <laughs> living like MTV Cribs. And she said, well, you can also be a successful park ranger. And I thought, okay, I get, I get your point. And I think success changes after you've kind of like lived in it and like seen how hard it is to achieve your goals and, and setting these goals and and I always feel successful just making small goals and then achieving them. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Did you ever see yourself as a park ranger? <laughs> no, my parents love to camp and they're always going to national parks. So maybe she was trying to push me in, into that direction. <laughs> just to like be able to visit you. Yeah. Free park <laughs> um, passes. Yeah. So there's another thing we talk about here on Girl Boss Radio, which is Girl Boss Moments. And, and we just launched a platform, which is a social network 
for women, a professional networking platform. And on your profiles, you also get to share your girl boss moment, which is really a time in your most recent history where you were really proud of something that you did. It may not be something that fits on a resume. It may have nothing to do with work. What would your most recent girl boss moment be, Lisa? My most recent girl boss moment, um, I gave a keynote speech for a Pinterest conference and it was really terrifying. It was 45 minutes about how Lisa says got started and how I used Pinterest. And I did use Pinterest actually um, to gain followers. I would reach out to Pinterest Pinterest influencers. <laughs> Pinfluencers? Pinfluencers. <laughs> yes, that is the term. And reach out to them and have them tag um, products on on our site. And that really drove a lot of traffic in the beginning. And that was one of the ways um, I brought traffic to the site. Um, so it was kind of a cool way to having started with using Pinterest. And then um, I think we like had 5 million viewers like more recently. And just seeing our Pinterest following grow um, as well as Instagram. But just um, having that moment to share was really special. And just, you know, how they say like people would rather die than give a public speech. I think I fall into that category. So afterwards, it was like, oh, yes, I did it. So you got up and gave a speech. Yes. How much did you practice for that? Oh, I practiced for weeks. I think I had it, like, memorized. and um, But, like, mid-speech, my mouth got so dry. And there was a water bottle on, like, a stool. I was, like, looking at the water bottle, like, still having this keynote like, do I reach for it? Will my hand, like, just, like, tremor <laughs> if, as I grab it? And um, anyway, I got the water, and it was fine. But, um, yeah, I think it was a really special experience. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. Thanks, Sophia. So nice to see you. You too. Also, how do you spell ga? G-A-H. So Lisa says ga. Mm-hmm. com. And that's it for this week's show. Be sure to go to the new girlboss.com to join our professional network for women and rate and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many people as possible. And the more reviews we have, the easier it is for new listeners to discover us. Talk to you next week. Girl.